Fatherhood is the good, the bad, the ugly. Being a father is like the greatest joy in life. Our identity will forever be for the rest of our lives, will to be Jackson and Aaron's dad. Welcome back to Veer Queer. We're here with your host, Indy. And my... Unfortunately, Julian was not able to join us for this episode, but they will be back for next episode. Sorry about that. Um, today, we're talking about Black fatherhood and what that means um, to our hosts and our guests. We have uh, Kevin Ayrton leading the conversation. And he is joined by Roderick Coleman, Paul Guillory, George Williams, and Jay Tillman. And they sit and talk about what um, their journey into fatherhood has been like for them. Um, I think they're all queer couples, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So that's great, too. Who doesn't want two dads? You know, we're going to go ahead and let Kevin take it away. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome to uh, Veer Queer. This is your host, Kevin Anderson. I am so excited. This is like our eighth episode, so I feel like I'm starting to become um, just an expert with this thing. You know, I'm I'm loving it. Um, This podcast is just, it's it's been great um, in my life, especially in the midst of uh, being in the midst of the pandemic and being able to reach out to other folks. Um, And so I'm really excited about our discussion and our conversation um this evening you know this is um this is the month of, of father's day you know and for for some that's that that holds some weight it holds some heaviness and so what i wanted to do for um for our discussion today i, I wanted to focus on fathers i wanted to focus on um fathers that are, are queer gay uh bisexual however you identify but i wanted to focus on fathers that are raising kids or have raised kids and now have grandchildren or are raising only boys or raising only girls. I just, I wanted to have some discussion. I think it's important, um, you know, in lieu of what uh, we are experiencing uh, globally um, with the death of Mr. Floyd and, and just the trauma and, um, and, and sometimes rage that surfaces, you know? And so I, um, I am excited to have all of you with us. I first want to introduce Mr. Uh, Paul Guillory. How you doing, Paul? Kevin, I am doing great. Well, good, man, good. Share with us a little bit about, uh, give us your pronouns and your kids. How many do you have? Okay, it's he and him and his are my pronouns. And I have three children. Actually, my daughter, Kristen, is my oldest. Last Sunday, she celebrated her 40th birthday. And right now, I have my daughter, Danielle. And Danielle's going to be 38 in July. And Danielle is here with her husband and my three grandsons, Jaden 10, Callan 6, and Kai 4. And then I have a son, and my son is 32 and they were all raised in the uh, Dallas area. And my son and my oldest daughter still live there. And Danielle 
and her husband there visiting from Atlanta. Nice, nice, nice. Thank you for sharing. I, um, I'm excited to talk a little bit about the grandbabies a little further in our conversation. Okay. All right. Uh, Mr. Roderick Coleman, you want to introduce yourself? I'm Roderick uh, Coleman. Um, my pronouns are he and his. Um, I, uh, I have two kids. Uh, I have a 33-year-old daughter uh, and a 19-year-old daughter. So uh, both are here in Houston. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Thank you. So you have two daughters. Yes. And uh, George and Jay, you guys want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm George. He's Jay. <laughs> we, uh, our pronouns are, are he, him, and his. Um, we are raising and have adopted uh, two beautiful black boys, six, and one will be seven. One is seven, just turned seven uh, a few weeks ago, actually. Mm -hmm. We celebrated his birthday. Uh, and we've had uh, both boys. Um, since they were about um, close to one uh, years old. Seven and 10 months. Seven and 10 months, yeah. <laughs> give, me all those, give me all those months. So we wow. are in the struggle of, of that stage of moving from um, some level of dependency to independency uh, as it relates to their, their growth. And so we're excited about, we're excited about that. Absolutely beautiful, man. Um, you know, what I love about our our discussion this evening is that we really have a nice range here from from George and Jay having um, having young boys to uh, Roderick having daughters, you know, to Paul having uh, a son and two daughters that are a little older. So um, I think that's amazing. Um, and I think it really will help with our discussion, you know, and then I'm going to, I left myself for last. So I'm, once again, I'm Kevin Anderson, uh, he, him, his, and I actually share two beautiful daughters with Roderick Coleman because Roderick is my husband. And so um, he has taught me, um, he has taught me what fatherhood means, like by watching him and being a part of the journey with him for the last 11 years, I've been able to really learn, um, learn some tips, some good old tips from him and how he interacts with, uh, with our girls. So, um, so it's just a really good feeling. So I can actually on this call, call myself a father too, cause I am. Um, so what I want to do really quickly is just kind of share why this discussion was important today. Um, uh, for well, actually for many reasons, I, I, yeah, mostly everything that I do really kind of begins with some of my own healing. And so Father's Day has never been a time that I ever recognized. Um, I would never recognize it as part of my being because I come from a, a fatherless uh, space. Uh, my mother uh, raised me and did an amazing job. Um, I always had a stepfather around, but he just was never, he had never acknowledged me um, in the household. And so when Father's Day comes around, I've always uh, struggled. I've always struggled. But because of, um, because of my new status of being a stepfather, you know, it really has helped shape the way that I look at fatherhood. And it's helped shape, um, you know, some of my core beliefs around 
men and being fathers and what that looks like. You know, I've had some great examples over the years, but sometimes you have to live it um, to kind of shape your narrative. And so um, I'm appreciative for that. This month is also Pride Month, you know, um, so it's, it's, it's a combination of both. Um, all of this is newer to me when it comes to fatherhood, you know, but what I want to do is ask you all a question as you think about um, your lives and being fathers and what the, the journey has looked like. And this is for all of you. And let's, let's actually start with Paul. But talk to me about, um, you know, being a father means to you. What, what is that journey? Uh, what, what does it mean? Well, first of all, I have to explain my two lives here. And what I mean by that, I actually got married uh, to my ex-wife, Sheila, in January 1977. And I came out to her on Labor Day 1994 after 17 and a half years of marriage and three kids. My kids at that time Kristen was 14, Danielle was 12, and Jason was five. And that was interesting. I mean, I've always, I've always loved my kid. I've, I've had, I've been in their lives. I came from a family of eight, four boys and four girls. All the kids, all the boys, from the same parents, and so that was the environment that I came from. But then when I came out, it was in 1995 that we separated, 1996 that we divorced, and it was rough. It was rough. But what being a father is, I reminded my kids that regardless of the fact of whether I was in the household with them or not, I was, ne I was always their father, no matter how imperfect I might be. <laughs> I'm their father. And I struggled, not struggled. I made an effort to stay in their lives and, uh, and I was able to do that. And today I have a, a great relationship with all of them. So fatherhood is the good, the bad, the ugly. And it really depends on our individual efforts. And I think it's important to recognize we are not going to do things perfect. And what I did in turning my um, family's life upside down in being in a straight relationship, even though myself, I never, I never classified myself that way when I get honest with myself. I was a gay man pretending to be straight. And so today my kids, my grandkids, to the extent that they're capable of understanding that, they know that. And right now, I think I'm going to stop there and, and I'll come back to more comments, more comments later. OK, that sounds good. That sounds good. Um, yeah, because we're actually I had had a moment of thinking about that whole process of disclosure. But excellent. Thank you for sharing that, Paul. And Roger, what about yourself? What does fatherhood mean? You want to give us a little bit of your background? Um, well, I've been out to my daughters for the last six, seven years, um, but I think that has very little to do with my relationship with my kids, actually. 
Um, initially, I thought it was going to be a big deal, but after I came out to them, they were like, okay, let's move on. And I think being a father is like the greatest joy in life uh, to see my two kids and that they look up to me, that I have a purpose. It kind of gives me a purpose uh, knowing that they are um, they're, they're there and they're like, my daddy can do anything. And it just helps me get through the day-to-day struggles knowing that I have two beautiful girls that I have to set the example for. So I think being a father is always leading by example. I like that, leading by example. And I, I know that to have <laughs> truly been a part of your journey. What about you, uh, George and Jake? Uh, so let me first start off by saying we're going to need to make sure we get some advice from those senior fathers because <laughs> we are still young parents, right? We're still young parents of of little boys. And so we're still trying to learn the essence of parenthood, you know, and it's it's ever-changing every day. There's many different challenges that happens. There's many different questions asked. Questions that are asked. Yeah, many different ex- discoveries and explorations that happens. I'm sure uh, both of you, all of you have experienced some of that uh, as you were rearing your kids. Um, and so it's been, it's been awesome actually for me and I'll, and I'll let Jay go, but it's been, it's been an experience. It's been a humbling experience to know that um, little people, right? Really like you right? And, and they love you and they want you to be there for them uh and so i continue to remind them that i'm their security guard right uh we're their security guard and and we want to make sure that they're they're protected so jay I, I just think that fatherhood for me um just the journey it's been just that a journey uh of exploration truly finding out who you are and how do you navigate the space um when i think of of the journey, I think of my identity and how it's changed and how, you know, before I became a dad, before we became dads, we were individuals thriving in the world, thriving in our professional careers. Going on ski trips and things like that to get away from the world. To get away from the world, right? But I think that if ever changed to my, our our identity will forever be for the rest of our lives, will to be Jackson and Aaron's dad. That's one of our that's one of our identities. And I think it it is this journey has been the best it's been the most overrated thing I've ever done, but the most fulfilling, selfless thing I've ever done. And I couldn't imagine not having them in a part of our life. Um and 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 they will tell you about yourself on your best and worst day. <laughs> very authentic. Very much authentic. Yeah, very often, huh? <laughs> yeah. No filter. No filter. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> well, George, you um, you were just when when you were talking, I heard you mention the word protection. You know, and for me, as I'm thinking protection right now, I'm actually I want to I have a quick question for for Roderick. So, you're the father on the call with with uh, two daughters. You know what what has protection looked like um, for both Amaya and Ashley? Um, it looks different for each of them. Um, Ashley is probably my radical child. She is going to protest. Uh, she's going to speak her mind. And I think for me, when it comes to her, I have to really be guarded 
whereas Amaya is more of a kind of laid back. She's going to sit back and watch things happen. So for her, I have to be more of the provider. And and when, it, when I say that, I have to protect her assets because she'll spend up all her money if you let her. So I'll call her up and say, hey, you know, uh, daddy gave you some allowance. What you going to do with it? Or uh, mommy, don't, don't go over there because if you do, you might get in trouble. Whereas Ashley is going to go over there and get in trouble. So so I father them very differently, but, uh, but my love for them is the same. I love it. I love it. Yes, 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 yes. And, and very true. <laughs> yes, indeed. And what about you, Paul? What about your uh, your, your two daughters? What does protection look like? And, and let's talk about your son also. Well, first of all, my daughters are extremely strong, independent women. And uh, talk about Kristen. You know, Kristen is a person that achieved, uh, she got her PhD when she was 27. And she was not the perfect student, but she figured out what she wanted and she was committed committed herself to do that. So she's also a very nurturing person in a sense that she mothers the world in many ways. She has no kids of her own. And so that was her uh, character. And to the to the young parents, I would say when you start to see the personalities form at age five, six, seven, that is who they're going to be. <laughs> so I don't know if that's encouraging or discouraging, but it's been my experience that their personalities form early and you just see variations of that. Now, Danielle, she was extremely self-reliant. She was a very high achiever. She uh, went to Rice University and that's my alma mater. So in a way, we got to spend a lot of time together. This was after the divorce, and she came to Houston. So I was in her life quite a bit. I've been in Kristen's life, even though Kristen has always been in Dallas. And I was in Dallas until 1999. Then I came to Houston. And my son, he's the one that was impacted the most by this divorce. So... The protection for the girls, I'm going to say they didn't need a lot of protection for me. They were very independent and self-reliant. My son, on the other hand, I think the divorce impacted him in a negative way more than my daughter's. And so with him, he's a, he's a big guy. Everybody knows I'm a big guy. He's bigger. He's taller than I is. He's a, he's a very, very sensitive individual. But, you know, he finally, he finally got on a path where he didn't really veer off and just got into trouble. He did that for a while. He, he will talk about the mistakes he made. But right now he's been married for three years. Uh, he's a truck driver. He didn't do the academic thing like my daughter's because he didn't like school. So he found his way. And so he... I continue to be in his life, and I continue to be in my daughter. My daughter, Danielle, was here. She homeschools her three boys who are uh, in Atlanta, and I'm most concerned about them. And, uh, you know, Ken, they're very, they're very aggressive boys, and they're very smart, and they don't have a lot of filters yet, and that concerns me. 
because they are very aggressive, smart, intelligent black boys. They're young, and somebody will, somebody's going to have to be there. Their father, me, their mother, and their network is going to have to be there to protect and to guide them. Yeah, that village, that village. Yeah, that's it's um that's powerful that that you're able to make that connection, Paul, and and see that early. That way, you can begin having some discussion with the village. You know. Yes, absolutely. You know, I um I I, I would not um it just simply wouldn't even be fair for us to continue to have this discussion without bringing up our current current state, our current um, nation, our current globe, um, in midst of dealing with a pandemic um, and, and now going through a grieving process um, of Mr. Floyd's uh, murder, death. Um, I'm curious, you know, what what's the center of your conversations with your kids, your, your, your grandchildren? Um, around social injustices? Are you having those kind of conversations? And what do they sound like? I think as of recently, we haven't had a whole lot of conversations about anything, right? Um, I think when they, when they, I think this specifically this year, there's been a lot of questions about, you know, color. And as, and as we've been watching CNN and, you know, the news, they've started to ask questions like, well, what happened? Why are they doing that? What's the protest? You know, they're, you know, they're six and a half and seven, so they're wanting to understand what's happening. And we've kind of started to, you know, breach the conversation of, well, hey, a black man was killed by a cop. And so it's, it's well, and so there's this trust and mistrust, you know, because you, you, you want them to trust the cops, but then you want them to also understand that what was happening. And the first, as we talked about it the other day, um, we're just driving and I was talking to the boys and one of my sons, he's very, one of our sons, he's very inquisitive. And he kept asking, well, what color is he? Every question that he asked about it, well, the cop, what color was he? What color was, was George, um, was Mr. Floyd, right? George Floyd, you know, what color was he? And he said, I said, well, baby, he's black. Oh, well, and then we went into the whole color, the other conversation of, well, we have one darker complected um, kiddo and one lighter complected kiddo. And there's a conversation with, with, within that, you know, within the intercultural thing, you know, within the, within the, well, because I always, he says, well, I'm not black like y'all. And so there's been a lot of conversations and George definitely chime in, but there's been a lot of conversations around colorism and what does that look like? And, and good and bad cops. Yeah, I, I, the only thing I would add is, uh, as as Paul mentioned, you know, we, we also have boys that are, uh, their emotional intelligence is, is, is really high. And I'm not just saying that because I'm their papa. Um, I'm saying it because I truly know, you know, you know, even as an educator, that they are smart kids. Right, and so right. ask those difficult questions to sometimes answer. You know, and and being able to spend some time trying to to really use the right words and use the words, period, that they will understand, um, because it is 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 challenging to see and turn on the news and see. You know, just yesterday or the other day, we were watching the story of Rodney King, right, and, and what happened with him, and having to explain, you know, some of the 
disparities that that happens within our communities of of, of our black communities, our minority communities, and so it, it's it's been a challenge in a sense that our boys have been able to understand it, but they know that they are they know that they're able to ask the questions, you know, however they need to, to be able to ask the questions. And I think we've just been in that discovery mode, trying to, trying to really flush out some of the questions and, and the uncertainties that they have as a six-year-old and a seven-year-old. Yeah, I love how um, when Jay was sharing, how he was able to literally watch them, um, one of your sons making the connection it, about differences, you know, and asking those questions. Um, such a such a uh, important and powerful time in their lives, you know, and how what what the narrative looks like for them as they continue to grow. Um, Paul, for yourself, um, I know you're sharing that your, your son is even taller than than yourself, and you're a tall man. Um, what are some of the with, with him being more, more mature? But yet, and still being your son, what are what do discussions look like right now between you and he? Well, he had a he had a personal experience, and let me just go back. I, I want to go back to uh, when he was a little boy. He was probably five, and these two white kids came up to us and they said, "Mister, why are you white and your son's brown?" <laughs> so, and that's very very significant because. What I want to share is that as a white complexion black man, I have never had any of the experiences that we see with dark-skinned black men or even brown-skinned black men being harassed. I've had no experience with that, none. Now, my son, Jason, Jason followed the wrong crowd when he was in college, and he was involved in a situation where there was a shooting from the car he was driving. He would not disclose who the shooter was. So he ended up taking the rap. He didn't go to jail, thank God, but he had a 10 year probation. And that 10 year probation kept him from working around kids. And that was his passion. So he understands that it wasn't just because of him being a black boy. It was the fact that he was in the wrong place at the wrong time, but he got through that. So he understands what's happening and he has probably been uh, perceived to be, you know, a, a, a person you don't want to cross because of his size and his demeanor. Now we, my daughter and I, my grandkids are actually here now. Jaden is the 10 year old. Yesterday, Danielle and I had a conversation with him, and I'm assuming it was the first conversation. And we were talking about George Floyd and others. And uh, his mother said something about, well, you know, they're killing a lot of black boys. And his immediate reaction was, well, why don't we kill, why don't we kill some white boys? So I said, no, that's not, it's not an eye for an eye. It's the fact that this is unfair and it's a problem that needs to be addressed. And the way he responded to that, he's still a kid. So we didn't venture any further uh, with him at that particular time. And in time, he'll, he'll know that it wasn't the appropriate time to go further uh, with him. 
Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and I, I, I'm sitting here thinking about uh, just I'm, I'm just I, w- I look forward to talking to you and in a couple of years to find out where he is. You know, when it comes to um, uh, how he's maturing and how he's developing through life. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. he's observant, you know, and that, that's a powerful statement that he made. He doesn't know it, but it was, you know. Yeah. Now, what's interesting, I didn't, I haven't mentioned anything about his father. His father is, um, he's half Samoan, half black. But the more important thing, his father is a Christian rapper. So that whole demeanor, doesn't matter that he's a Christian rapper. He looks like a rapper. So, you know. The, the thug look, all of this, if you put a Christian rapper next to a rapper, you can't tell the difference until they start to rap because the words are extremely different, you know? And uh, so he's got, he's got a strong, strong role model That's living in, in the same household. That's excellent. What about yourself, Roger? What, what if um, your two, our two daughters, what has what that discussion been like with them? Um, the discussion has been different with uh, the same and different with both of them. Uh, Ashley is more of the, uh, she actually was in the March uh, a couple of days ago and we were supposed to have lunch. And uh, I said, something happened. Why did we have lunch? And I look on Facebook and she's marching. Um, and I, I almost said, be careful. And then I caught myself and I said, uh, I'm proud of you because I knew she knew to be careful. I'd already taught her that. So me saying that on Facebook wasn't gonna prevent anything from happening because I figured I've given her all those tools. But she was marching and our conversation has been about um, being empowered. You know, having an African-American dad that is afraid to be pulled over by the police is a conversation that I've had with both my kids. Uh, and just being honest and transparent, uh, Maya's up at UT, we talk about uh, how well she has to do to be uh, to, to, to achieve what she wants to achieve. So the, the discussion about racism and reverse racism and all that, we have constantly. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I feel like I've I've been a part of of at least one of those discussions, and you know, and what she's experiencing um, in school and what her walk looks like. Um, you know, and and actually, Roger, while we're that's funny, I'm calling you Roderick Babe. Um, <laughs> so actually, as I'm um, thinking about it, talk talk to us a little bit about uh, co-parenting during a time like this. Now, both both our girls are are um, grown, you know, but what is, what is the co-parenting journey look like? Um, it, for me, has been, uh, for the most part, good. We had a challenge in the beginning, but we worked through that. And I think for the most part, uh, my ex-wife and myself and you, we do a good job of, raising the kids and giving them guidance. So uh, she's not going to do anything without talking to me and vice versa. And we may not always agree. And sometimes when we had to just disagree, but we have open and honest conversation about what we should do. 
And that makes me feel real good because I know she's not going to do anything uh, with either of the kids without uh, talking to me first. So that's a, and it's been that way. Even when we're having bad time, bad times, she has done a great job of reaching out and saying, what do you think? I need your opinion. I don't want to do this without you knowing. And, um, and for the most part, it has been really, really good. Yeah, the central of um, the three of us, um, because, you know, the reality is as on our journey, um, when we realize that things were shifting, meaning that, you know, we're looking up and all of us are sitting at the table at a restaurant with the girls and, and celebrating with friends and, and I'm buying cocktails and, you know, that was a major shift. And, and that was part of um, my own growth and development and realizing that, okay, I'm, I'm, I, I am truly becoming a part of this, this uh, relationship because it's still a relationship, you know? Um, and so, you know, I, I once again just kind of really thank you for modeling a lot of that. Um, what about yourself, Paul? Anything that you want to share about the earlier journeys? I know you said something, about, but what do you think would be helpful? Well, the earlier journey for me, I mean, I told you I came out to my wife after 17 and a half years, and she looked at me like, you know, what? And then all of a sudden she thought it was a phase that I was going through. And then she thought maybe, well, well, maybe we don't have enough sex. We need to have more sex. Instead of really seeing that it was me, she made it about the first thing she did was to make it about her. And then after I uh, came out, she didn't want me to tell anybody. She tried to keep it a secret and she was even agreeable to me being able to do whatever the hell I wanted to do and come back home and present myself as this husband and father to her. I didn't want to do that. So what I did, I came out to the world, uh, so to speak, and that turned everything upside down. Uh, for years, there were events, you know, high school events, band competitions, graduations of my daughter, especially in high school, where I had to see them separately from her family because her family really hated me. And it wasn't until uh, 19, I know it wasn't until 2004, it was after when early on in my relationship with Leon, I've been with him for 17 and a half years. And this was actually the Texas relays. We're there and we're all sitting together, me and Leon sitting with my ex-wife, her sister, um, the, my, my nephews, all of this stuff. And my son, Jason, he was a sophomore in high school and he was actually participating in the shot put as a sophomore from DeSoto High School. He ended up winning that. That's I mean, he was an amazing athlete. He ended up winning the Texas Relays that year as a shot putter and he placed second in the discus. At the end of this little, you know, us sitting together, my wife didn't say... At the time, well, she still, no, my ex-wife didn't say anything to me, but she hugged Leon. And Leon said, well, what was that about? I said, well, you are easy on the eyes. And so I think that's what <laughs> I think she, she kind of just didn't take any of her wrath off of, uh, on you. It was, it was more or less uh, on me. But afterwards, we're, we're cordial now. We have supported our kids. 
100%. And whenever we have to come together now, we do. But that's a lot of years. So the first, I would say, five years, six years after the divorce uh, were very, very tense. And I had to walk on eggshells around her family. Yeah, that's um, yeah, you're <laughs> Your sharing reminds me so much uh, of this household over here. Yeah, it's uh, it's like the the moment happens, and and uh, what just happened? What what did she do? What is, <laughs> good? Okay, <laughs> but then it becomes this gradual, you know, space of acceptance and and just really understanding we're on the same page, you know. Yeah. In fact, I want to share one story really quick. Um, my daughter, Kristen, who's the one that turned 40 this week, she met Leon in 2004, and Leon went to work, and my son Jason was here, and she she said, Dad, how old is Leon? I said, well, why, why don't you call and ask him? Well, at the time, I was, I was actually approaching 50, and she called Leon. She said, Leon, how old are you? And he said, well, I'm 26. She said, okay, Claire. She said, I'm I'm here with my dad. She said, you and I could party together. She said, I'm going to talk to you later. I'm here with my dad. She hung up, hung up the phone. She looked at me and she said, okay, R. Kelly. So I thought that was very significant because I didn't take that as a negative because 10 years before I told her mother I was gay, 10 years later, she was more concerned with the age of the man I was with rather than the fact that I was with a man. Ah, uh, the growth. Yeah, I get it. I get That's it. growth. Yeah, that is. <laughs> that is. Um, so, so uh, George and Jake, of course, you guys don't, don't have the story of the, um, the ex-wife that you are raised, that you're co-parenting with, but you guys are parenting together, you know, and I think um, if you don't realize it, that is an absolutely beautiful thing, uh, that you all made the d- decision uh, to rear two boys together, two black boys, you know. Um, and so I'm going to start with you as we're kind of bringing this this podcast to to a narrow. You know, what, in, in your short time period of being fathers, um, what would you offer someone? What gift would you give them um, when it comes to fatherhood? What would you suggest? What would you say? You know, there's so many that that you can, but but a few that comes to mind is is allowing your kid to be creative, uh, allowing them to be vulnerable, you know, allowing them to take risks. Um, I tell my boys all the time, it's okay to cry, you know, it's okay to be upset, it's okay to be emotional, it's okay to talk, right? And so, being able to to create a space where they're able to um, to feel that they're, they, they can come to you when they're in need. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing when you are, when, when, a, when your kid tells you, I love you, Papa, you know, just like that, right? It's just a beautiful thing. And that's when I knew um, that uh, I was making an impact on their lives, right. you know, that make an impact on their lives. And so I, I think that just being able to create a space for them to to um, identify their own identity uh, and being okay with identifying their own identity 
um, and being open to allowing them to to respond uh, to just a variety of things that are happening in their lives. You know, the little the little girlfriends that they they typically bring up every now and then, or the little spats that they have with different people and you know kids in the neighborhood being open for that uh, but i also think it's just for us it's just being present yeah you know it's simply being present and being there to let them know that we're here we're here to listen to you whether we you know are tired or overwhelmed with work or whatever the case is it's, it's simply being present um but also assuring them that um that we're here for them and and we're protecting them throughout every aspect of of their lives you know we're gonna they're gonna work right that's that's just part of part of part of raising kids that they're gonna work through uh various problem solving opportunities and 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 that type of thing um but it's really really about giving them the opportunity uh to be vulnerable and and to be emotional and to be able to to talk through the various things that are happening with them and at their and in their six-year-old and seven-year-old bodies, yeah. you know, they have a lot to share, and they have a story too, right? They have a story to tell too, at that young age, and it's up to us to be present to listen to, to their story. Yes, to help guide to navigate. I love it. I love it. Jay didn't catch that, that question because he left the room, so I'm gonna call him out real quick. But uh, right. we'll come actually, back to you, Jay. <laughs> we have to say this: we have, we have a, we actually have a third child that we call the third child. It's really the the little boy next door who's eight who loves to come over next door. So he. Oh, wow. he actually came over, and Jay had to get get the door to let him in. So. <laughs> But basically, a gift, a gift, being a father. Is it it a gift? Well, just what gifts uh, is it in terms of being a father? If you were, if you were given a gift to someone, what would you provide them, Jake, about fatherhood? What would you tell them? What would you share? Hmm. I would say to be in the moment and to know that you are going to mess up that you are going to say some stuff that's really mean um, and really to be kind to yourself. One thing I've learned is that on my worst day, I am my kid's biggest hero. I am their biggest champion and they love me. Uh, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing that I can do to Jackson or to Aaron and they're not going to love me through it. You know, um, last night we had like a little experiment with one of our kids who said he didn't want to be in our family. He didn't want to be with here. He didn't want to be with us. And that when we're older, he's not going to take care of us. So we said, get out of our house. Get out. Get out, get out the family. And he's screaming to get back in, you know, and he and we open the door. And he's like, I'm sorry. I'm never going to leave the family, you know, and. And just what he held, just what he held and hugged us. Yes, it was like nothing else that I could have ever imagined, and I felt at home in his in his arms. You know, in that moment. Yes, yes, yes. And, and uh, you know, and our boys just need safety. Safety. You know, they simply need safety, and they may not know what that looks like now. You know, because they, they're privileged. 
They really are. They're pretty little black little boys walking around here with basically everything that they need. Um, and, and so let me just say that. But but they also know, they, they will know what that means. You know, eventually they will. we will have to have the conversation. We will have to have the conversation with them. You know, these are boys, again, that are absolutely emotionally intelligent and just familiar with themselves and their identity. So we're going to have to have the conversation with them um, as, they're, as they're getting older. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you. What about you, Roger? A.K.A. Babe. <laughs> <laughs> um... God, I think the gift that I would give anyone is simply just to be a father. Uh, I I look back in my, look at my dad, who was the best father. He knew how to be, but uh, wasn't the greatest. Uh, and then I look at myself and sometimes I'm, I'm still trying not to be the dad he was. And just realizing that I'm not going to be perfect in this, but I'm going to be a damn good father. So I want to give the gift of just going through the process and loving your kids as much as you can, you know? So that would be the gift that I would give someone because I think we think it comes with this book of rules and this is how you ought to do it. And it doesn't. It comes with two individuals that need to be loved very differently and, I'm going to do my best to, to be that role model and set that example for them to follow and try and love them the way that they need to be loved. Love it. Love it. You're such a good man. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Paul? Yeah, I'm going to go back to... You know, really, this demonstrate this says a lot, speaks volumes. When I told my son that I was leaving the house, this was in 1995, he was seven. And I said, I'm leaving. And he looked at me, he said, are you leaving forever? And so he didn't understand that leaving the house meant that I could still be in his life. He thought I was gone. And so I think, number one, regardless of all the imperfections that I have, regardless of all the mistakes, is letting them know that I'm there for them, that I love them. It's not always going to be the way they want to be loved, or it's not, I'm not, I'm not always going to be there when they want me to be, but I'm going to be there. So I think it's important. I would tell, I would tell a father, don't beat up on yourself for not being able to meet all of their needs, but to forgive yourself for your imperfections. And let it be okay. I think we stated this last night on another call. Let it be okay not to be okay. Even when you do your best, other people perceive things differently. So it'll never be perfect in everybody's eyes. So I would tell them, tell them that be be perfectly important, uh, be perfectly imperfect, and let it be okay to be that way. But never let that stop you. For, for loving your kids the way you think they need to be loved. Great words, great words. Roger, I thought I heard you say something. Did you have something else? Yes, I, I want to share a story right quick. Um, and I've talked about it before, but 
I think as as a same gender loving father, um, which was one of the hardest things I had to tell my kids, uh, especially my Maya, the youngest, um, is that uh, about two years ago when she was a senior, she did a project uh, with Kevin, my husband. Uh, it was her senior project, and it focused on. Um, showcasing her same gender loving uh, peers that were in her theater uh, group. And when I got to the production and I sat down, she had done a part, her part in the, in the program was about her dad, who that she loved, that was, as she said, gay. Um, and the thing that I feared the most in sharing with her was the thing that she celebrated the most. So it just made me like really come to, it came full circle, you know? So I don't know who's gonna listen to this podcast, uh, but if you are that dad uh, struggling to talk to your kids about uh, who you love, and um, if you do it, you'll find that it's not as hard as you thought it was. And to have my daughter just celebrate it, and to do it with my husband was was a gift I'll never forget. So uh, with that being said, it, it it still brings a smile to my face. That was great. That was really, really nice. Yeah, that's, um, yeah. It, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. Well, you know what, gentlemen? I, um, I'm really appreciative for our discussion tonight. Um, or today, I'm, I'm just, I'm happy that we came together. And, you know, this reminds me that um, I've never been in this type of setting. Um, I've never been amongst, um, actually, all three couples here are married, as I think about it. Uh, Leah is not on the call, but, um, and so this is, this is healthy, it's positive. And, you know, for me, I've changed my narrative around fatherhood. Um, and, and that's a really, really good feeling. Um, and so I want to thank you guys for being a part of this podcast, offering your words and your gifts. Um, I'm, I'm sure that the Veer Queer Spectrum South folks are going to uh, hopefully really take something from this because this is a good, important conversation. So we've done episode eight. It's over. And as we are ending, I just want to give everybody on the call early happy Father's Day. That's for all of us. That's for all of us. You guys take care of yourself, and I'm extremely appreciative for you being a part of this. What a great conversation that was. Yeah, yeah, I was saying earlier, like, I only plan on being the parent to, like, plants and pets. That's it <laughs> at all. Motherhood or parenthood isn't in the cards for me. Not not this lifetime. I believe in my past life, I may have been a mom since my uh, south node. We're going to talk about astrology really quick. My south node is in Cancer and my north node is in Capricorn, which means that now I'm more, like, about my business, about making money, even though I'm, I'm really not. I'm, like probably a really weak Capricorn uh, North Node, but my South Node was in Cancer. In Cancer, they're usually like the maternal, um, maternal figures, even not necessarily with like motherhood, but could be friendships too. But that's why I think my past life, I may have been a mom. I think like in this life, I'm just like over it. And so I'm just like super gay and not willing to reproduce. 
So I feel that. <laughs> yeah, I don't. My plants, I can hardly keep them alive right now. It's kind of hard. Yeah. Um. Yeah, those are like the things I'm caring for. My partner has a dog. Maybe that's close. <laughs> yeah, you have a little step puppy. That counts. Yeah. Yeah, just, like, being trans and, like, the thought of, like, being a parent is just not – I'm just trying to survive, you know? It's hard for even me to, like, care for myself right now, especially with everything that's happening. Uh Uh-huh. So – I know. Yeah. With everything that's happening, I've said this so many times to my partner, I've just been like, I am so glad I don't have fucking kids with all this mayhem that's going on, like, with the virus and with, like, the revolution that's, like, on its way to being um, real and happening right now. I'm just like, I am so glad I don't have to explain this to, like, a little kid who's, like, wondering why their whole world is falling apart. Like, I can't deal with that. I can probably barely deal with why my whole world is falling apart, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. It's crazy. They're raising, you know, kids the right way, um, teaching them things that I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. I was going to say, yeah, like definitely good luck to people who have children. It sounds like our guests and our hosts are doing a really great job and they're just like, you know, raising really good kids. And some people are made for it and want it. And a lot of people aren't. But I think people who are but you do want to do it and do it the right way are fantastic parents and that's a good thing we definitely need that because kids are our future so they need a good foundation to grow on yeah exactly it's good to have fathers around because I definitely didn't you know grow up with one um (laughs) me neither or jaded like yeah you know I don't know yeah people were their family they're I guess specifically their fathers in their lives or even I mean I know there's mothers that aren't in people's lives so mm-hmm. yeah I think when it comes to like parent relationships especially when it comes to queer people it's always a toss up it's like either my parents support me and they're completely my life or you know one parent is one parent isn't or you know both parents aren't like it's kind of rare for me anyway in my experience for the people that I've met I'm not going to say everyone but it's pretty rare for them to actually have those like good established relationships with both parents like I barely hear that I'm genuinely surprised when someone's like yeah I love both my mom and dad or yeah both of my parents support me completely I'm like really like what's the key code for that I would love that (laughs) (laughs) is it up up, down like left right right like tell me the cheat code (laughs) (laughs) yeah seriously but yeah I mean I'm glad that you know there are kids out there that have parents that are leading them the right way into adulthood Uh or into whatever cause shit's wild out there uh huh um and especially you know black fathers um I know a lot of people don't know this but like Growing up, my, like, father figures in my life were black men because my dad wasn't really around. And my mom dated these two guys. And those were the guys that were, like, father figures in my life. That's how I felt like, though I wasn't adopted, that I was still, I still belonged to, you know, a family. That's awesome. Yeah. That's really cool. Mm -hmm. 
So with everything going on, um, have you been holding up? I know it's such a loaded question because we've all had, uh, I'm going through different phases. Every day is different for me. I'm sure a lot of people that are listening are aware that, you know, there have been protests happening across the nation and across the world. Um, And like me being in New York, it has been a hell of a ride. Like I've never seen anything like this before. So I'm really new. And since I'm new to the city, I haven't really been organizing, but I am a part of this group called the dollar bail bonds, which I've been trying to get into. This has happened before. um, Or I tried to get into it before all this stuff happened. Um, But since like COVID and then the pandemic, I was already freaked out about COVID and now this, and I have asthma. I just like gone out there because there is, there was a protester that died because of her asthma triggered and police like pepper sprayed her to death and tear gassed her to death basically. And God, that's so fucking awful. Yeah. Um, I've been trying to help with jail support, which is another thing that people can be doing. Um, uh-huh. You know, helping protesters that did get arrested, helping them out and like giving them medical treatment, um, hooking them up with a lawyer and just making sure they're able to get back out there and fight again, you know? Um yeah. This is like, I want to say like the ninth or 10th day of protests that are going to be happening tonight. Um, and hopefully it'll keep going. I know the mayor lifted the curfew tonight all of a sudden. So, Oh, thank goodness. Yeah. I saw this ridiculous video of this, like, I've seen several ridiculous videos of people being targeted after the protests. And like, there is one video where this, biker was just walking across the street and this cop was just beating on them with their baton and then like several other cops joined in it looked like he was coming like they were coming home from work or something because they were just biking home like it was ridiculous and i was just like these curfews are just an excuse for them to target minority workers oh, because yeah. that's a nine to five mm-hmm. and a lot of people work. and it's like people are arguing like you know, like those who are protesting past curfew, you know, those are that's wrong. And I was like, wow, you've never worked an industry job in your fucking life. Like, uh-huh. you, never, you know, had a late night shift before and you got off the clock at 12 and, you know, on your way home at night. Uh-huh. People have obviously never experienced that. And it's just bullshit. I'm, I don't know. I know. It's it's hard. But what about you? I know that there's like some crazy stuff out there. Or not I'm sorry, not wild things that are happening where you are in Oregon. Um Yeah, there's wild things happening all the time in Oregon, but I've stayed my black ass in the house. So I don't get exposed to it. As you should. Yeah, exactly. I'm not exposing myself to anything other than what I need to. Um, I did go to a protest. I think it was like last week on a Sunday. Elise and I went out there. Um, you know, it was great. I had my stage with me. I smoked out all the demons in the crowd. It was great. Um, <laughs> and then since then, I've just been at home focusing on myself, um, trying to figure out what I can do and how I can play my part from home. I've been donating to different causes and everything else and working on um, my like spiritual practices 
and trying to dismantle things from, you know, my home the best that I can with my intentions. I've also been learning how to do uh, Reiki as well. So I can do mm-hmm. like long distance healing mm-hmm. that out. So I'm in the process of being initiated and I can't do it on anyone else for like 22 days. But after that, I will be um, offering my services out to the community specifically for uh Black and POC, like uh, queer people and trans folk and uh, non-binary people and everything like that. Mm-hmm. I wanted to just have that um, available for people as the, the least that I can do and see if I can use that gift um, in the upcoming months or years and probably have a business or something. I'm just trying to figure out what I can do to help and support while still staying safe mm-hmm. and throughout this whole thing because it's a lot of emotions right now and it's really really hard and I know a lot of people feel really helpless myself included I'm just like what what does this even mean for us after the fact because Mm -hmm. you know once the COVID uh, quarantine is lifted we're all going to be out in the world with each other um, again and I don't know what the what that means for people's safety as far as like just being exposed to people that don't believe in what they believe in. Like for instance, because I feel like I'm speaking vaguely, um, the Proud Boys have been around Portland again, Mm -hmm. beating up queer people. Yeah. And I don't have time for that shit at all. Like I've been pissed off for at least the last three years. So I don't want to run into a situation where I have to like literally fight for my life and also fight people because I feel like fighting. Um, (laughs) So it's like stuff like that. Um, That's kind of encouraging me to just stay to myself and stay home. Um, I had a birthday about three days ago and I was able to see like two friends. Happy birthday. Thank you. I'm 28. 28 wow, now. Can't so believe old. it. Yeah. <laughs> Not at all, but I feel ancient. <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I celebrated my birthday with them and then I went and saw my other two friends the next day and we were being safe about it. So I don't want to hear anything about social distancing. Like, I don't care. I want to no, see people. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like my mental health needed that. Like, I... I'm tired of being in my apartment by myself all the time. So it was great. Um, I definitely created a new pod of like people to hang out with. Cause I was like, Oh, I can't do this anymore. Uh It's like tough. I don't know what the new change is going to be, but I don't think you should like feel bad for not doing enough. Like there is action that can always be done behind the computer or at home, making phone calls, like, you know, writing emails, it's, it's, it's there. You can do it. Um, call your elected officials, defund those police people, and then abolish the police. That's, that's the goal here. <laughs> and hopefully uh-huh. you that light. Uh-huh. I mean, just imagine a world without police. Just imagine it. Yeah. Put it out in the ether. We want to live that way. <laughs> For real. But yeah, I mean, this was a great conversation. Thanks for opening up. Yeah, no problem. Always. You know, this is a safe space. We're clear. We get vulnerable and real here. <laughs> but yeah, with that said, like, thank you for listening. Um, check out our podcasts um, at Veer Queer 
HTX, like on Facebook, um, like and share our page. Um, don't forget to check out Spectrum South. Check out their stuff. And yeah, thanks for listening, y'all. Yeah, thanks Bye. for tuning in. Veer Queer is a Spectrum South podcast hosted by Julian Gomez, Mai Ha, and Andesha Haynes with interviews by Kevin Anderson, Vernis McFarlane, DeAndre Moore, and Melanie Termina Payne. Series produced and edited by Danny Benoit. Episodes are released bi-weekly. Be sure to subscribe to Veer Queer on iTunes and Spotify. Episodes are also available at SpectrumSouth.com. Visit SpectrumSouth.com to learn more.